0: Welcome to Coaching the Whole Educator, the podcast that helps instructional coaches, teacher leaders, and school leaders. I'm Becca, former educator and school coach turned transformational coach of coaches. I'm on a mission to help you improve your educators' effectiveness and resilience, especially the ones who need it most. Each week, we'll cover quick tips, strategies, and coaching mindsets, so that you can be on top of your coaching games. Are you ready? Let's dive in. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey coaches, have you ever had a day you wish you could just duplicate yourself to save time? If your answer is yes, with the Sydney platform you can complete all your coaching cycles, track goals, and connect your teachers with relevant resources all in one place you can maximize your time and maximize your impact. As a special offer for listeners of Coaching the Whole Educator, SIDME is giving away an opportunity to use a SIDME coaching package for free for the remainder of the school year. Go to sidme.com front TWE to learn more and claim your free coaching package to start saving time. That's S-I-B-M-E dot com forward slash T-W-E, or click the link in the show notes. Hello, coaches and leaders. I am so excited to have our part three of the resistance to change series. Just briefly, if you have not been catching the previous two parts of the series. Mia is a program manager with a direction and coaches, school leaders and instructional coaches. She is the founder of Coach Fest, which is a conference and a retreat for instructional coaches and leaders. an absolutely incredible experience. So, today we are going to be talking about level three of resistance. Our previous sessions, we talked about level one, which is we need to be addressing why the change is happening when we have educators resisting change. And level two is the need to build trust that if someone is resisting change, they might not trust the leader or the change itself. And so we need to be really building that foundation of trust with our educators that we are asking to change, right? And so today, the third level is really about building capacity. So we are going to be talking about how to build the skill and knowledge set of the educators at our school. Here's the thing. Most of the time, in schools, when I'm going into coach educators and school leaders, I see the leadership of schools skipping to this stage. Do not skip to this level. Okay. So Mia, I would love to hear your thoughts on building capacity. What are some different ways that leaders and coaches can build the capacity of their teachers?
1: Well, first of all, I 100% agree with you that um, a lot of people skip to this part um, and the building the foundation of really understanding the why will make this part so much easier and go so much faster. So we can't you know, reiterate that enough. Once you get to this part though, I think one of the, the fastest ways to build capacity and to get people implementing at a high level of fidelity is through meaningful feedback. So you want to uh, prepare your staff for this meaningful feedback. You want to lay that foundation of, again, why are we giving feedback? How are we going to give feedback? What types of feedback can you expect? If you can make that crystal clear in the beginning and kind of set up the systems and processes for effective feedback, then people will be much more open to it. Um, It will, you know, Take away some of the fear that intrinsically comes with getting feedback, and then you can really get specific on the change you're implementing and how you can take those baby steps to improve day by day, um, little by little, because that's really how the incredible growth happens over time.
0: You know, part of building capacity, right? Learning new things isn't just simply in isolation. It's not like I'm teaching you a new thing and you're going to go learn it. There's a lot of mindsets that impact our ability to learn new things. And, you know, I think about the kind of anxiety someone might have if they are asked to change, they don't know how to implement the change, and then they're being held accountable to, have that change happen. And so, you know, I think about mindsets as a really important factor that impacts potentially someone's willingness and ability to learn new information.
1: It really does. And mindsets don't typically change overnight. So it's like that slow drip of messaging Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, why the change is positive and why we're doing this and how everybody can contribute to the change in a positive way and how it's going to be good for staff and students. I think, um, those things are really important and it it really brings to mind a very specific example in my own life that I can share with you. When I was completely resistant to change, I was working at a school and we were going through uh, moving to data-informed instruction and this is something I had very little training in at the time. I didn't know why we were doing it. Um, we had a lot of people coming into our classrooms and watching us and telling us on a daily basis what we were doing wrong. And so the anxiety was very high and the buy-in was quite low. And now looking back on it, I can tell you that over time, And through the process of doing it and doing it with a team that I trusted, even though at the time the leadership was not where the trust was, then I can say, yes, I can see how beneficial that was for me to grow as an educator. It was definitely beneficial for my students. My instruction got so much better, but the resistance level at the beginning of that was very high.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I think about the need for you to understand why that was happening. And even though it sounds like they were giving regular feedback, it was ineffective because you didn't actually know why this was happening. You weren't bought in. Right. Resistance isn't a bad thing.
1: and. We label it as something bad, but mm-hmm. it's really just fear. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's fear disguised as, you know, anger and defiance and, and the behaviors that we see come out in people. But we, if we can get to the bottom of where the fear is coming from mm-hmm. and address that at, mm-hmm. while we're teaching these skills. And so just imagine if what I went through with data informed instruction, if we had had a coach who along the way on a daily or weekly basis was saying, okay, here, let's look at this one thing that you did. Here's what you did. Well, here's one little tweak you can do to make it better. And then, you know, you would see that progress over time, but you felt supported through the whole process. Imagine how different that would have been.
0: Yes, exactly. I have a friend that calls it tiny tweaks Mm -hmm. and, Some educators really need much more of that tiny step by tiny step. And a lot of it is really managing their anxiety. It's not their capacity to learn something new. It's actually the underlying thoughts about learning something new. Is it worth the risk? Is it not worth the risk, right? And so part of building capacity and the willingness for a teacher to learn something new is they have to be willing to see the risk as something beneficial for them. They are asking themselves, is it worth the risk to try this new thing? Will I be successful with it?
1: Yeah. So it goes back to the why. It's Mm -hmm. exactly what we talked about in the first episode Mm
0: -hmm. of the series. And it takes a leader's ability to listen. It takes a leader's ability to listen to really sort out at what level educators are at, right? Not just skip to this building capacity level, but are they needing to know the why again? And, you know, if not, if they're really bought into the why, what skills do they need and how do they need to be taught? So I want to shift into creating a culture of learning. There's lots of ways to teach teachers new things, right? What are your thoughts around how coaches and leaders can build a culture of learning in their schools?
1: I think one of the really most powerful ways to build a culture of learning is to show examples. So expose people to other examples of learning cultures and people in the field of education or not, right, who have gone through this process of learning and growing and just constant examples of how it's not a one-time thing. It's something that we continuously do. And we say all the time, we give it lip service, right? Like, we're lifelong learners. We have a growth mindset. But when you really, really stop and analyze, Am I living what I'm saying? Sometimes we're not quite there. There's there's a little bit of a mismatch there.
0: I want to say something about modeling. I think modeling can be really effective for some teachers. And with the whole educator approach, we talk about our different levels of willingness. And there are some levels of willingness. We call them eager and actually willing to change. And those two groups of educators really benefit from modeling. You show them how to do it. They're like, thank you for the clarity. I'm going to go and do it. Right. Yeah. Modeling is not appropriate for educators that have seen what the change is going to look like and are still not implementing. So it's not an issue of, I don't know what the change looks like. It's another issue. Right. And so that's actually something that I share a lot with my coaches, which is don't model for your I call them the stopped educators. Don't don't model for people that have seen it and gone through lots of trainings and are still not doing it. They don't need modeling. Stop modeling for some of your teachers. So I wanted to share that and it's it can be shocking for some leaders and and coaches to hear because that's mm-hmm. kind of a, that can be a go-to.
1: So then do they ask you like, "Well, if I'm not modeling, then what do I do?"
0: Yes, yes they do. Yes, and there there's so many other options. There's co-planning co-teaching. There's a partnership oriented approach that I highly recommend taking with educators that are more hesitant to change and educators that just aren't changing at all.
1: We have to differentiate and meet them where they are. Well, we have to do the same thing
0: mm-hmm. when
1: when the educators are the students. So we yeah. have to know where they are in their mindset, know mm-hmm. where they are in the resistance kind of cycle. Mm -hmm. And then meet them where they are Mm -hmm. and meet those needs. And that's done through what you were just describing, Mm -hmm. that coaching
0: partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, You know, and one last thing I wanted to talk about as an option to build capacity is something I spoke about a few episodes ago, which is peer coaching. Really developing a culture where educators throw open their doors And normalize giving each other feedback. Now that takes training. You can't just say, hey, teachers, right? We're going to deprivatize classrooms. You are now going to give each other feedback. Good luck with that, right? Which sometimes we see initiatives happen. Like you're going to do this with no training, right? You actually want to have your teacher's trained in this, but this is such a powerful way of building capacity organically because the way change happens actually is there's a curve and you start with early adopters. You start with innovators and it goes into early adopters and it is, you start with a small group of people and it grows and grows and peer coaching is a really incredible way of doing that. So check out the peer coaching uh, episode as well. So I'd like to wrap up this conversation, Mia. Is there anything else you want to share with our coaches and leaders about building capacity?
1: I'll just build a little bit on what you just said about peer coaching to say that when you have some people who maybe have been teaching a while, and they seem resistant to that, um, start by using them as the ones who are sharing their expertise and coaching others. Because eventually what will happen is the relationships will form, and they will start being exposed to what other teachers are doing, even new teachers who have new and and fresh ideas, and they'll be like, oh, Well, that's interesting. You know, tell me more about that. So again, like you said, it happens organically, but it's very powerful.
0: And just remember, coaches and leaders, if someone is resisting learning a new skill, there's fear involved. So really start looking at their humanity. And instead of saying, oh, they're just resisting. They won't learn the new thing, right? Ask yourself, what are they afraid of? And we will be following up with our final level four of resistance next week. See you soon. If you're interested in learning more about how to reduce resistance in your building, we are offering a very special deal. When we open the cart to our Whole Educator Foundation's curriculum on March 7th, we are offering a free bonus recorded workshop on our breaking through resistance work for two weeks only. This offer ends March 21st at midnight. And I do also want to let you know that if you sign up for our wait list quickly before the cart opens, you can also get 25% off the course. Feel free to check out the Whole Educator Foundation's curriculum in the show notes. And until next time, just remember, don't treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat them how they want to be treated. Take care.